Welcome to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Dr. Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Join us each week as we engage the city of man with the biblical wisdom of the city of God. Welcome to City of God. Today on the podcast, my friend Jeremy Vuolo. Jeremy is a seminarian at the Master's Seminary in California. He previously pastored in Texas for almost five years. He's married to Ginger. They have one child and another on the way, and uh, Jeremy is a great guy. He has a very interesting story and background that God has authored. Jeremy, welcome to the podcast. Oh, and thank you so much for having me on. Um, it's an honor. I've, I've listened to City of God, I think, since you, since you started it, and so it's, a, it's a humbling to be on. Well, I'm delighted to have you on, and it is, I think, like 6.45 out there, your time. So I think you have the distinction, just so you know, of being the earliest guest, uh, calling you at the earliest hour ever on City of God. <laughs> oh, wow. It's, I, the, the honor is just it's, it's mounting up. <laughs> that's, that's quite distinguished. It's overflowing. <laughs> um, so what I want to do in my two podcasts with you is in this first one, talk about how God has worked in your life, where he's led you, what your story is, because you frankly do have a very interesting story that God authored. And then in our second podcast, in just a couple days, we're going to talk about the role of wisdom in the Christian life, a theme that I know is, is close to your heart and is close to mine. So really appreciate you being on for these two podcasts. Start us out by telling us about your background. Uh, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in a Christian home? And uh, was soccer and soccer uh, eliteness on your radar from an early age? Yeah, so I, I did grow up in a Christian home. Um, a very faithful Christian home, my mother and my father, um, two very godly people. Um, and I grew up outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in Downingtown. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I guess soccer came into my life pretty early on, around eight years old. Um, but before that, um, I had an interesting, um, you know, I, for, for my testimony, every time I tell my testimony, I'm sometimes conflicted because... Mm. I don't know the exact moment that I that I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, um, but I do remember at five years old um, I really came under great conviction of sin, and um, it, it may have been the time of my conversion. And, and the time the the reason it's a, a bit difficult I think is uh, like uh, a lot of kids who grew up in faithful Christian homes sometimes. It's it's a challenge to know: Do I really love Christ, or am I just following my parents, and am I just doing what I I know is right to please people? Yes. And so, uh, I, I started to have some of those conflicts um, in my early teen years, and at the same time, I was just becoming obsessed with soccer. I, I made the decision, maybe around 12 years old, that I was going to be a professional soccer player. Um, it wasn't a question in my mind. It wasn't I mean, there literally was no doubt. I, I did not even, um, through college, entertain the possibility of doing anything else. Mm. And so um, that that really gripped my life, this passion for soccer. But at the same time, I was having some spiritual turmoil as well uh, through my teen years. Um, and, and that really continued. That turmoil continued until I was around uh, 16, 17. There was, there was another... Um, kind of a moment of of serious conviction coming under the conviction of sin, just seeing so much sin having 
having grown up in my heart and my soul. Um, and it really came to a head in college, about a year and a half into college in my, my sophomore year, um, where sin really got the better of me. I was just kind of living the normal party life and yes. of a college student, but um, I was sick of it, and, and it was miserable. And um, even got arrested one night just, just out at the bars being, being foolish sure. uh, in upstate New York. And so it was interesting because this spiritual wrestling that, that the Lord was, you know, I'm, I'm walking through this, this, trying to navigate through sin and life and, and my own heart and uh, where do I stand with the Lord? And at the same time, my sin was affecting my soccer as well. Um, and so my, my passion and my love to become a professional soccer player was also being affected by my, my life off the field. Um, and it really came to a head that, that night when I was uh, 20 years old in upstate New York on, on a January when, when the Lord just kind of let me see my sin for what it is and all of its guts and glory. And, mm. and I made the decision as I sat in, in a little uh, police holding cell, <laughs> probably 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, I, can't, I can't live like this and call myself a Christian. Wow. I either need to live for Christ or I need to live for the world, but I can't have it both ways. Wow, that is a powerful story. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I've heard about that a little bit, as others will have, but, uh, but didn't know all the details there. And it, it, I think that's really helpful, Jeremy. Obviously, every Christian father or mother wants their child, Lord willing, to come to the, to the faith, to come to Christ as, as Lord and Savior from a young age. That's what we're praying for. That's what we hope for. That's what we work for. And yet, we are not the ones who save our kids. We can't save them 6.7% and God does the rest. We can't save them at all. God has to do the saving. I'm like you. I grew up in a strong Christian home, very thankful for it. But I don't remember exactly when I became a Christian. And being in a public school and then a secular college, a lot of us who have that sort of background can say, there, there's zigs and zags in our lives, and, and there's times when you do feel the pull of the world. And um, as much as we don't want our kids, of course, to, to, to dive into that, to dive into worldliness, we have to know that there's a real world out there and that our kids are pulled in different ways. And so we need to have a big view of God's grace and God's work in the lives of, of kids from Christian homes. It can be a winding path to the foot of Christ, can't it? Absolutely, and and my parents knew that, and and they had a uh, and they have a big God theology. And mm. I'll never forget Owen. Oh, one of the most poignant uh, moments that that is seared on my mind as a as a teenager who was wrestling with with the world and wrestling with you know the two the, the two paths, which we'll talk about in the next segment about. You know, do I marry Lady Folly or mm. do I ma marry Lady Wisdom? Mm -hmm. um, and I remember a moment when I was in in high school. I was walking out the door, and my mom. I think she was. She, I think she may have been sitting like reading or something in the living room, and she just said to me, and it was very sweet and very kind. It wasn't like uh, threatening, but she just said, "Jeremy, I pray for you, and, and I pray that that your sin would find you out." Something like that. Wow. And I just remember thinking, 
whoa, because I was going, I was leaving the, 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 the house to go somewhere where they would not have approved and didn't know I was going. Mm-hmm. And so this, I just remember thinking, my mom, she, she knows she can't control me and she can't save my soul, but she does know the one who can, mm-hmm. and she appeals to him. And that was very powerful for me because um, I, I knew that, that the Lord cared and the Lord would um, be gracious and he would pursue. And so I, I always had this sense that I, I need to run after Christ. Mm. Um, and he very graciously, he very graciously brought me to a place where I had no other option but to run after Christ. And that's so important for people to hear, including people in the conservative, uh, reformed wing of evangelicalism, people who really do pray for our kids to come to Christ at an early age, as I have said, but there, there is a winding path, uh, in many of our stories. And I, I praise God that, uh, that he's he's worked in your life as he has, and uh, and he he gave you the father and mother he did, and there is I you know looking back I can feel that pull myself I can feel the pull of the world and know that my father and mother did not want me to go that way. You're feeling, but you're feeling pulled. You you really do, and there really is an allure to the world. You you had that stripped away. And that's part of how God worked in your story. And that's a, that's a powerful word for many out there to consider, including many folks out there who may even be in these circumstances now. Uh, God draws people to himself at all stages of life. The only people who get in the church are, are not nine-year-olds, you know, who, who enter through the youth ministry. We, we pray many do, but people come into the church at all ages. And Jeremy, I don't know what you see today, but this is a wild era, a wild time. This is 2020. You're living in Cali. You're living in LA. I would, I would wager that in years ahead, if you and I are in ministry, we are going to see all the, the normal rhythms of entering the church turned upside down. People are going to come to Christ. Don't misunderstand. But I think they're probably going to be coming out with the smell of the world fresh on them and, and even hellfire on them because there's, there's, there's a lot of turmoil in our world. We have to be ready for people to enter the church, to come to Christ, I mean, from a variety of circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, this, this correlates so perfectly with wisdom, Owen, which we'll discuss. And, um, but Go for the, it, man. The, the, wis- the wisdom from below just creates turmoil and chaos. Hmm. And, and that's what was in my life. It was chaos. I, I couldn't, I couldn't function. I didn't, I didn't love what I, I was, I was walking around in, in the sewage. And, and I remember thinking, I, I hate this. Hmm. I don't want to live like this. And people come to a place where the wages of sin is death and the way of the transgressor is hard. And they, they, they say, is there another alternative? Is there another option? And that's where we as the, the church need to be in the highways and the byways, mm. saying, yes, there's a beautiful wedding feast waiting for you. Come with me. And uh, so you're absolutely right. There, there's going to come a time that, that people are going to see the error of postmodern philosophy mm. and how it just wrecks lives. And they're going to ask, is there an alternative? And, and we as the church need to be there saying, yes, there is. Welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah, that's good. Okay, we've talked about the lows. Now I want to just double click a little bit on the the really cool factor of your life because frankly, you did succeed in those uh, in those goals. Uh, you did become a professional soccer player. I want to hear about this. I seem to collect soccer players, pro soccer players as friends. Uh, one of my closest buddies <laughs> is, is Gavin Peacock, who captained Chelsea famously in the Premier League and had an almost 20-year English soccer and Premier League career. So, so uh, that's one example. You're another example. So talk to us about the exciting element of, of your life, the very unusual element where y- you played at Hartwick and then you played at Syracuse for a time and you had some overseas experience leading into MLS. Talk to us about what that must have been like. I imagine it was head spinning for several years there. Yeah, it was. And, and first of all, Gavin is far more acclaimed than I am as a professional. <laughs> athlete. Uh, but um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was amazing. I mean, it was a dream come true. I, I, like I said, around 12 years old, I, I made the decision, I'm going to be a professional soccer player. Love it. And there was just no, there was no alternative for me. And so I would look at my friends who didn't want to be professional and I would literally think, why? And sometimes I would tell them, why are you playing? (laughs) Like, this isn't just for after school fun. I mean, if you're not going to become a professional, what's the point? And that's kind of how it was for me. I, I was so committed to it. But interestingly, Owen, I, I left college. I had a couple of offers to stay in. Uh, the United States and go into the MLS um, pretty much right away. But I chose to go over to Finland, which was a good place for American players to kind of get started, get their footing, get some experience. And that's what I did. And, and I had a great year, um, which caught the attention of the New York Red Bulls mm. in the MLS. And so the next year I, I, was, I was bought by the Red Bulls and, and came back uh, to, to the States. But interestingly, that first year in Finland, I began – uh, realizing that the, the, the seeds of, of ministry desire had been sown in my heart. Hmm. I met a small group of, uh, of Christians whose common denominator was their love for Jesus and the English language. And I, I was kind of I was pretty quickly thrust into sort of a ministry leadership position where I, I was leading some Bible studies and I was counseling. And um, I think it was just the the kind of the, the background I had been given growing up in a, in a faithful Christian home that I didn't realize I had the, the certain depth of knowledge and understanding. Sure. Um, yes. And so I, as I'm, as I'm you know, on my voyage journey professionally, I'm realizing, man, I, I have this desire to, to serve in ministry. And that was only heightened when I went to New York. And here I was at a very prestigious club in the, in the country, uh, playing alongside guys like Thierry Henry, Rafa Marquez, you know, it's a dream for a soccer player. Wow. And I, I could not get my mind off of ministry at New York. I was more excited to leave training and go to the Bible study I was a part of in the city mm. and be involved in the lives of the people and counsel and teach. And, and it was, it was, it was kind of uh, interesting for me because I'm sitting here thinking, Jeremy, what's wrong with you? Here you are at, at a prestigious club. You've made it. Like, stop focusing on ministry. Focus on soccer. Mm. And um, that burden kept growing and growing and growing. 
to the point where I literally had to tell myself the next year, um, you know, I, I was, I was thinking things like, Jeremy, you have to put ministry to a side. You can do that after soccer, mm-hmm. but you have to focus on soccer. But the Lord was very clearly shifting my passion. You know, I had had this singular goal since I was a little boy that I'm going to be a professional athlete. It consumed me. I never played any other sport. I didn't do any hobbies that would have threatened soccer. I sometimes would train two, three, four times a day. It consumed me. Wake up at 5.45 in the morning, even earlier than this podcast, hard to believe. (laughs) And I would train in my backyard. And uh, it it was just all consuming. And then I signed professionally. And I'm starting to feel this other passion overtaking that one. And I didn't know what to do with it, honestly. Mm. Um, So I played in total four years. I played a year in Finland, a year in New York, two in Texas. Mm. Um, And then... I, at that point, I just, I knew even before those last two years came, I knew these will be my last few years and, and I'll pursue ministry after that. Okay. So there's so many things I want to ask you, but, um, okay. Well, I, well, I, I won't restrain myself. I have to ask one more soccer question and then we have to dive into ministry. Um, your journey there. Do you have a Thierry Henry story for us? Just even a quick one. Do you have one that showcases, you know, his excellence as a soccer player that, uh, that you could share with us? Anything come to mind? Yeah, I've got a few. I, I'll, give you, um, I, I'll give you one that was, well, on field or off field. I'll give you off field. All right. One of the coolest moments with Thierry was um, we, we went downtown in Soho for a, a team dinner. And, sure. and so I walk into this restaurant with Thierry and I'm, I'm right behind him and, and we're the first two in, I think. And he goes over to the table and he's, he's talking to these guys and I'm not really paying attention probably on my phone. And then I look up and I realize he's talking to the players from Real Madrid <laughs> and uh, Sergio Ramos and Iker wow. Casillas, who was one of my heroes since I was a little boy, uh, one of my goalkeeping heroes. And so that was a cool moment. And I got to talk to those guys and uh, interact with them a bit. That was, that was, pretty memorable for me and um on field moment i mean thierry would have this move where he would come down the left side towards the goal inside the box and he would open his hips and with his right foot he would place the ball in the in the far uh corner and i would always see that as a kid when he would do that and he would always score Hmm. and as a goalkeeper it was it was the perfect nightmare because as he opened his hips he gave himself every option and so you can't commit to dive to the left to the far post mm. um, because then he'll just easily slot it in, in the near post. And I remember after training one day, Thierry and I just stayed after and he just kept doing that over and over and over and over. Mm. And every time I, I'm, I'm a sitting duck, you know, I can't. Uh, and, and so it was just, it was amazing to be training with him and to see what I had watched for so many years at Arsenal, at Barcelona, mm. you know, right in front of me. Um, and he's a great guy. It was, it was, a it was a privilege to play with him. So there's a lot of memories, but those are the first two that come to my mind. Sheesh. I will confess to you here in public that I, uh, I have watched documentaries, both about Henri's year in New York. You're probably in there. And then also our time in New York, at least one, one aspect of it. And then I've also watched recently the Amazon series on Sergio Ramos. So, uh, I'm, I'm, you're connecting all my interested points here. So that's, that's very fun. (laughs) That's great. 
So um, we have uh, just a few more minutes, three or four minutes here. Um, and I just want to ask you, okay, so you're playing soccer in Texas in San Antonio. I think it's at that point that you become a pastor and you're getting married here in somewhere at some point, And then uh, you become a, a, a bona fide celebrity. So talk to us about that as we, uh, then we have to get to your master's era as well. Yeah. So um, just real, real quickly, um, very quickly, the, I was in San Antonio and, um, playing soccer there, but I, I knew the Lord was calling me to, to ministry. And so I didn't know the timing. I didn't know when, um, but it was actually the weekend after I graduated. Oh, sorry, graduated. The weekend after I stopped playing soccer, mm-hmm. um, the church I was with asked me to go down to Laredo, Texas, uh, about two and a half hours south towards the U.S.-Mexico border and oversee a small little church that they had started some years before. And so I did that gladly. They eventually, that little church, several months later, called me to be their full-time pastor. And that's where I stayed for four and a half years, pastoring mm. that work, and saw the Lord do amazing things, grow the church. Um, we saw conversion. We saw just astonishing things as we planted a church across the border in Mexico, mm. in Nuevo Laredo. Um, really beautiful, beautiful things happening in that ministry. And so I was privileged uh, to be a part of that. And halfway through that ministry, I got married. I, I met Ginger through her brother-in-law, Ben Seawall, ah. and sister, uh, Jessa. They, you know, they're, they're always looking for, um, you know, I think eligible <laughs> bachelors for their sisters at the time. And, and so I, I fit the bill. And, and um, we, we genuinely struck a, a friendship um, Ben, Jessa, and I. Yes. And I got to know them. I went out and visited them a bit, and and through them met Ginger. Um, and yeah, so Ginger and I ended up getting married in November 2016, about uh, about a year and ten months after we initially met. Um, and so, I think I'm, my math is right there. But yeah, then about a year later, we, um, or no, how, yeah, about a year and a half later, we we welcomed our daughter Felicity into the world. And so that led us up to last summer, um, where after four and a half years in that ministry, and everything was going very well. It was incredible to see what the Lord was doing there. Um, the Lord made it very clear last summer that that He wanted to take us to Master's Seminary for me to pursue uh, studies, further studies in the Word of God, and get a Master's of Divinity. Mm. Uh, and so that's what we did. We we left Laredo um, after several months of praying about that, and and made way for Los Angeles. Wow, that is a very cool story. What What is life like now for you? Uh, we're, we're in 2020 in the fall. We've lived through a lockdown that still exists. You're, you're in your seminary studies, uh, you know, a child, another on the way. What is life looking like for you these days? How are you seeing God work in your life right now? Well, it's, it's been amazing. It's been um, chaos at points in society. Mm. I think we've all felt that. Um, nobody could have predicted at the start of this year what would happen this year. And yet, I think this is the normal experience for the Christian. Um, even in the midst of storms, there's this supernatural peace and a joy that accompanies it. And so uh, for my wife and I, amid the ups and downs and you know all around us, um, 
we have had a, a wonderful year of enjoying one another, um, enjoying our daughter, seeing her grow. She's growing so much every day. My schedule is very busy. Um, I'm working as well as studying full time. And so um, currently I'm, I'm in my Greek exegesis classes, my Hebrew classes, my theology classes, um, also working to, to help launch the MacArthur Center for Expository Preaching, um, which is an exciting venture of the seminary. And so um, just, just, you know, full on, just involved in the church. Ginger and I love the church here at Grace where John MacArthur pastors. Mm. Um, it's been a joy to get to know the people and yeah, it's, it's just been, it's been busy, but it's been good. I think that's the testimony of the believers that the Lord gives peace and he gives joy. And, and as long as we're walking in his will, pursuing Christ, uh, we can know that, that we're right where he wants us to be. And so for us, it's been a real joy being out here, despite all the circumstances of the year 2020. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, thank you for that. That's that's very encouraging. Love knowing that you're a seminarian. You've been a pastor before for several years, of course. Uh, so you've been in ministry already, and yet I'm sure that you're reaping a lot uh, from masters and gleaning much by being at a great church like Grace. So very thankful to hear of that. And um, thank you for being on the podcast. We're praying for you, Jeremy. We're thankful for your testimony publicly. You're a vibrant, joyful, thoughtful Christian man, and the world desperately needs those. And so I'm thankful for your friendship and, and you giving your time to be on City of God today. Thanks for listening to City of God, a podcast at the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're so thankful you stopped by. We encourage you to continue to join the conversation at cpt.mbts.edu, the official website of the center. And we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Join us in coming days as we continue the conversation on what it means to be the city of God in the city of man.